when it comes to addiction, we're stuck long-term in suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so do you want to stay in suffering or do you want to, do you want to move through suffering? Yeah. And, and I guess it's the, the, the positive aspect of this is that you can. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Uh, welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life. Ryan here from the Plugged In Media Network podcast studio. Feels like we haven't been in here for a long time. We were just discussing that hammer. Feels like I haven't seen you in so long. I've missed you. There. That's maybe a bit dark, but uh, perfect. Thanks, Dave. Dave <laughs> and for listeners, you can't see what's happening here. Dave's adjusting the lighting for us, so they just went to black to red. To... <laughs> we'll just leave them right there, Dave. Oh, perfect. Set right the there, mood. Bud. That's it. Right there. We're Red Light to, District. <clears throat> we're going to have to start a YouTube channel so the <laughs> listeners can enjoy the ambiance in here. Uh, um, so yeah, we are back in studio. We've uh, recorded a few since last time you listened to us, and we are grateful today to have our newest guest, Miss Rhonda Hayward, is on the is on the show today, clinical social worker here in Medicine Hat. And uh, man, we're so excited to have you on today. It's It's cool when you reached out and said, hey, do you think I could come on the podcast? And absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. It's something that I've, from the beginning, when you guys first started, it was something that I was really passionate about. Um, I, I like your message and I like what you're doing in the community and the fact that you're so real and so honest. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, if I'd ever have the opportunity, that would be the one thing that I would love to do. So actually, this is a bit of a dream come true for me today. I'm very pumped. So cool. Oh, that's awesome to yeah. hear. We're happy to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's one of the things, you know, when people reach out and they want to be on the podcast, it has grown to a level now where, you know, we have guests lined up for most of the rest of season two now. So um, we're so glad that you can make time and fit it in your schedule because I know it's not, it's not easy out there right now. The life is busy and you are in private practice now. I am indeed. Absolutely. So you're getting that off the ground. and. Yep. We kind of know at OCJ what that looks like, uh, starting your own organization or your own agency. And, you know, it's one thing to be busy working with, uh, with your, the population you've selected, but it's also behind the scenes stuff. Like you were just mentioning this morning, right? Websites, all the print material, advertising, all this other stuff that nobody really knows about. And letting, letting people know you're there. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Well, we know that this will help. This will help get your name out there. You're. Crosswater counseling, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. That's so anyway, awesome. How are you doing, Amber? I am good. I, I'm not gonna lie, I had a shitty freaking week. Well, I've had a shitty couple weeks. But I've been back into your garage door. I have not wrecked my car. <laughs> Anymore, thank God. Oh God, I'm so glad I'm over that. No, you know, I had like man, me and my husband have just been at at each other's throats trying to parent my teenage daughter and and we have two totally different opinions on on what that parenting looks like and i i had to really eat shit which sucked because i thought i was right yeah right and you know when you get in your head where you're like man no like i know i'm right like Mm -hmm. this has to be the way to go and like yeah so then we can't get on the same page and she's not going to school and how do we fix it and I I probably unintentionally was harder on her because, like, I don't have a grade 12. Right. I was not going up to school. I was depressed. I was living in a house with addicts. I was, you know, all these things. And and she doesn't have that, and I can't understand. I'm like, man, like, go. like, And she's so intelligent, right? right. And, and having to just realize that she's just in a place she's you know she's depressed herself even though our circumstances aren't the same and and having to be more realistic in that like it's not you know i can't strong arm her to go and i just need to be more compassionate instead of the hard ass in the house and that was actually hard for me to hear i bawled i bawled (laughs) i didn't want to talk to anybody after i was so it was it was hard for me i'm like i do you want them to succeed so 
so bad, but like at what point of my behavior towards that situation, like I wasn't helping it. I was literally making it worse Mm -hmm. and driving my husband off the deep end Mm -hmm. and then just fighting with him nonstop because I'm like, no. And he's usually the hard ass in the house. So I'm like, (laughs) where are you? (laughs) I need you to come back because like you are not coming back here. Like, yeah, roles totally reversed. Then it was a struggle. We ended up like, I was like, okay, we got to go to therapy and sort this out. And then. I figured out I was the ass. <laughs> and then I had to apologize to my daughter, <laughs> which is easy for me to do. I love her. Yeah. But yeah. For sure. Wow. We had to be. That's a big couple of weeks. It was. It is a big couple of weeks. Dude, yes. Yeah, sorry for trauma dumping my BS on you. But like, <laughs> honestly, it's been like, I've been riding just this shit roller coaster all yeah. week of just emotions and anger <laughs> and hostility. And yeah. And it's like going back and the therapist says like, it's one of those like control things, Amber man. Like, you're not in control of it. Like, figure. <laughs> let you it just go. have to be. Yeah, let it go. Find a different way. Totally. Find a different way. And I That's, was really struggling. I don't want her to struggle. Yeah, for She's sure. So smart. None of us want our kids to struggle. No, That's for sure. Right. Yeah. I love how you just you said trauma dumped my shit on you, but. <laughs> That's why we ask how you're doing, right? We care. We want to know. We don't want the stock. Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, because really, what does that mean? Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. It's it's more so turned into a form of greeting someone, I think. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Don't really care. So I'm not listening anymore. How you really doing? Yeah. Yeah. And usually, like, I come in and I'm in a good mood and not a lot is off the rails, but shiz, I've been in the pit at home. <laughs> I'm not like laughing you know, at you. I'm just, no, I'm, you laugh with me. I love your choice of language. It's always refreshing. <laughs> me too. It's kind of it's yeah. it's refreshing. It's, right? It's, it's right. Never politically correct. That's for <laughs> sure. Well, you're on the right show for that, right? <laughs> I know. You know, and, and on the brighter side, I'm I'm going to work towards understanding my daughter better. Yeah, and I have to do that, and that's something that I have to be aware of. Is that I can't, you know, I've just got to support her on that journey, and and I know that the outcome is hers. Yeah to or like to own at the end of the day and i just got to be more supportive and wow. figure out how to be more and supportive. amber it's hard to know what to do with our kids sometimes Shit, you just want to strangle them right. <laughs> i wanted to Honest. strangle her i'm did, like how you are so goddamn intelligent did what I mention, are you doing did i mention we're going into cfs next week to do a presentation <laughs> <laughs> we don't strangle kids in this room <laughs> We'd like to, I think I said. Not that I totally do strangle. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I just a bit so, of a smart ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super, super funny. And yeah, the therapist is like, Ben, you got more more self-efficacy for her at this point than she has for herself. Yeah. And I was like, wow, is that an eye-opening thing to say to me? I'm like, I literally work and with a, a few ladies in the moment where I'm literally helping them build that mm-hmm. and I miss the ball yeah. at not recognizing that with my own kid. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We can recognize it in, in certain areas of our life, but not in others. We totally miss the ball. Yeah. But yeah. For sure. Yeah. I've been through similar situations just like that with my two older sons and, yeah. you know, and I've had to stop and I've actually talked to a few therapists about it like that imposter syndrome. Cause here I am helping all these individuals at work during the day and through my re- life and recovery and that but I can't help my own kids. And then I have that internal struggle, man, are you a fraud? What's wrong with you? You shouldn't even be here. Who in their right mind is taking advice from you? You can't even help your kids. And it's just this internal battle and man, therapy. I'm glad you said that because I still check out therapists and I still talk to therapists and that man, that's game changing for me. I had to go. I was like, we're, we're not solving this and I'm, I'm stubborn. Yeah. Stubborn as shit. And, and, and I wouldn't get off my horse. Totally. And at the end of the day, it's, I know it's hard to swallow, but we might not know everything. Yeah. And we don't. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right? So funny. Uh, better thing is I found out yesterday that I was a nominee for the Women in Business Inspire Award. So I was like, so excited. And I was like, I don't deserve to do that. That's so great. But you do. It made me feel very good. Yeah, you absolutely do. And all the different areas of this city and the different things that you do in the community. I, you know, now that I've got to know you over the last year, it's, you do so many cool things with people and it's usually for other people, right? It's not, how can Amber get ahead and how can Amber sit up on top of the mountain? No. It's always for someone else. So, yeah. 
I'm already uncomfortable with like the whole spotlight thing. I was yeah. like, I'm more of like in the shadows. Yeah. I prefer to be there. <laughs> That's <laughs> where I used to hang out. It's not cool. Yeah. Right <laughs> right uh, on, right but on. yeah, I was, I was surprised. Oh, man, it's so cool. Yeah. So our guest, I'm I, sorry. I had the, no, that's just right. took over on my tangent. That's how it works in here. That's we don't okay. have a script. Yeah, There's right. no scripts. That's true. Um, I had the privilege of crossing paths with Rhonda. I don't know how long, four years ago, maybe. I think so. Around four years. Yeah. yeah. When I, I was fortunate and privileged enough to land a job with the Canadian Mental Health Association in collaboration with the Medicine Hat Police Service. And we formulated the addiction crisis team and. My first experience meeting Rhonda was when I got to my new office and yeah. we were in the police station. Yeah. And I was in the police and crisis team. Absolutely. Position. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember walking in thinking, man, I, one of those things again, right? When I heard your credentials and I, all your experience and a constable funk was already there and he'd help build this team up. And I'm like, wow, I don't belong here. How did I get in this room? Like, this is wild, right? I'm an addict in recovery that just went to school for a couple of years and but man, it was such a cool experience. And to be able to sit in that room and listen and learn from you mm. was really cool. That's what I've taken away from that, you know, among other things. But one of the really cool things was being able to to sit down in that office and be welcomed as a, as a peer and as somebody kind of on the same level by yourself and by Travis and just sitting down and discussing, like, how are we going to help people now? That was really cool. They were they were good memories and good learning times. I miss Travis. Yeah. He would be nice to have in here too today. Yeah. Um, but I think Ryan, it, for me, the you were that example for me of someone um, who could be in in recovery and be so so positive and so honest and so excited to find your life mm-hmm. right and have a, and I didn't know your life before, but to have a a different life, a better life. And you always made that impression on me. And I think you've made that to many people around you. Um, you're very well known for that. And thank you. so I have a lot of respect for that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I strive to do every day. Right. And I know Amber's no different, right? When, when you get in recovery, I know when I was in active addiction, recovery was terrifying. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was the end of the world, this and that, right. It was completely the opposite though. It was the start of my new world. And, and now I want to be that example of what recovery can look like. It's not doom and gloom and what am I going to do for the rest of my life without drugs and alcohol? And I'm going to do everything I wanted to do in my life and I'm going to do it clean and sober and I'm going to do it and remember it all. And, and I'm going to talk about it. That's the biggest thing is I'm going to talk about all these experiences and show people that it's pretty cool on the other side. Yeah. Go ahead. I think by, by talking about it, right, we, we put the human back in in humanity the more we can share those experiences the more that we can because i think that's really what communicates the hope mm-hmm. and what drives hope home to people is when you know someone who has been on the other side and they've come back yeah from the other side there's really mm-hmm. nothing i don't think more powerful than that it's so true right, right? you remember that absolutely and and being in a recovery community now and I'm sure you've worked with other people that have experienced these, these stories of hope, right? And I know you have for sure, Amber, but you know, the vast amount of people that are out there, once you're exposed to a recovery community and you, and you get into this network and you start hearing and meeting all these people and you hear their stories, you know, it, it's like addiction, right? It doesn't discriminate. Neither does recovery. I mean, there's people that have different levels of where their rock bottom were and, I don't want to compare rock bottoms or anything. Right. But when you see somebody who's been off the streets or, you know, what society deems as the the lowest of the low, which is unfortunate, but, and then you see where they are today and that climb back into the light yeah. and their, their successes. Right. And when they're sharing that story, man, it gives me goosebumps to hear those stories. It's, it's amazing. And that just fuels that hope and you just want to spread it more that recovery is possible. Yeah. I know I, I'm enlightened every day that I work with some of the the individuals that I'm working with of just like, even those small changes they make for yeah. themselves and they call you to tell you that they did something different, mm-hmm. right? I've done something different that's going to keep me into tomorrow. And like, they're so proud of themselves and they, yeah. sh- they absolutely should be, <laughs> right? Like small changes are what get us to big changes long-term. Sure. And yeah, you... <laughs> baby steps to giant steps like it's all just 
it's so great to see and to hear. And I love hearing people's stories. And a lot of the times when we share on here and, you know, that's driven a lot of people to call our collective journey and saying, you know, man, maybe I, maybe I can get into recovery, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and starting that process, whether it's, it's baby steps or large steps, you know, straight into treatment, or maybe they just want to make small minuscule changes in their house that stops them from using till tomorrow. Right. And Mm -hmm. until they get more and more days and build their confidence to maybe go to a room and get into a meeting and, yeah, it's right? super cool. Or go super to a cool. room and get into a room with an individual it, like Rhonda. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Rhonda comfortable yeah. on their terms to go to these different supports. Yeah. And that's where I think, that's where we start when we talk. So I'm big on hope. Um, and I I bring lived experience. Mm-hmm. I won't ever ask anyone to do what I wouldn't do to, mm-hmm. you know, um, help themselves. And I think when we talk about hope, people often get very... Um, discouraged or they feel that hope is so far removed from them but it's the little things it is that small thing that someone might call you that look at what i did today well when you're very defeated and you haven't had hope or you've lost hope that really is a big step it might look small to us but it is huge to them and i think that's how we open that door for people to um you know, reconnect with hope. How do I build hope? Some people have never had hope. Mm-hmm. They've never, every time um, they got their hopes up, they were defeated or mm-hmm. deflated. And so, you know, people give up and they lose sight of that. And you don't realize until you're active in addiction or your mental health is out of control, both, right? That, oh, there's hope that's missing. For sure. And, you know, and, and talking about a rock bottom, you hit that rock bottom with hope, mm-hmm. right? And so when you can reach out and make it, so the big thing is always in my field, every field, it's connection, right? <laughs> we, we use that word a lot. Along with the most popular word of the year, I think it's vulnerability. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Right? We really like that word right now, but it's true. It, mm-hmm. it is true. And so yeah. when you're talking with someone and they, they do say something small and they can check in, it's actually, I think it's them recognizing that I can do this. Yeah. Yes. I, I've made it. It's a, it's a step. Yeah. For sure. And I've seen some small steps and just like, it's so great. It's so small. Yeah. When I look at it, but it's so huge and I know how important it is to them where I, it just brings me so much joy. It's the smallest right. things. And I think too, in life, we just forget about those small things too. Even with ourselves today, sure. it's easy to, you know, always be looking at the bigger picture and, and not be present in the day to you. And yeah, it was just, it's been super cool. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. I, when I hear you talk about the small steps, when people are having those moments, right. I get goosebumps still. Cause I've been in those situations similar to you, Rhonda, I'm sure where you see those small steps being accomplished and whether it's smart goals or whatever, we've broken it down or helped people get comfortable with. I can remember back when I started to check those off in my early recovery, right? Because I was useless back in the first 40 years of my life. I didn't do the banking myself. I didn't do anything myself. I always pushed it off onto my spouse or somebody else so that, A, I didn't have to worry about doing it or learning how, or now I look back and I see that it was fear of failing on all those things, but it's somebody else's. And when it doesn't work out, I got someone else to blame. Mm Mm-hmm. So when I got into recovery and I started checking off those little boxes, I got a bank account and I, I went in and applied for a loan and all these things, right? All by myself. And I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. I wish I had somebody I could brag to and talk to and tell. And, and you know, it, it, uh, at the end of the day, it all started to build that, like you spoke about earlier, that self-efficacy. And, you know, now I wouldn't say I'm fully autonomous. I have a lot of help in my life still, but um, it's huge. When you start checking off those small boxes that lead you up to that big goal, Oh my gosh, it's a snowball and it really starts taking off. And I get so stoked hearing people talk about that. Yeah. And when you get to see it in, in person and somebody's checking off those small accomplishments, they're not small. Like you said, Rhonda, they're not small in their life. No. And, and to, for anyone to dismiss those is ridiculous because that's the, that's where change starts. You, you know, being an addict myself, I wanted it fixed now and I want it right now. It's yeah. that self gratification, immediate gratification, all these Instant. things, right? Yeah. I just want it now. But it's not like that. You know, when you hear people say, well, do you know how bad that is for you? Why don't you just stop using drugs? <laughs> right. Yeah. I love when people say that. Right. But it's, it's <laughs> these things we're talking about. It's a massive process to change your entire life to figure out how I need to create this self-efficacy and this new life. So I don't need to fall back on that shitty coping mechanism I've used for the last however many years. 
And uh, it's those little goals. It's amazing. And it's people like yourself, Rhonda, and recovery coaches like us that help people, you know, recognize that they have the strengths to to accomplish these tasks. We're not going to do them for you. We can't do them for you. No. But to build that self-worth and build that hope and that passion and then connect people to community and all these things are all part of recovery. I think one of the the bigger things also is we always need to have that end goal. We mm-hmm. need to, and so these smaller steps that we do, getting out of bed in the morning, getting to your appointments, you know, taking your medication, doing, getting to a meeting. Um, those are the things that build to what that goal is. And I think often when we're low on hope, we don't know, actually, you know, what do I want to be at the end? That's one thing I encounter the most from individuals I work with. Is They come in with the problem. They know it's a problem. But where are you hoping to be at the end of this problem? Mm-hmm. And often you, you get a bit of a, a neutral look. They're not sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's important that we spend less time focusing, of course, on past history that we can't we can do so little about. Right. Right. We learn from that, but we move we move more into um, where our lives are better and what do we how will we know when our lives are better? How will we know when hope is better mm-hmm. in our lives? That's a really cool point, I think. And and I get that lots when I work with individuals. And I think it's just because of their experience in the systems. And over the years, right, they're like, they sit down expecting to have to dump their past and their history and their story on us. And then we're going to fix everything based on what's happened in the past, right? And I know experience is a big piece to, you know, learning and figuring out how to move forward. But I love how you put that. It's 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 more of present moment stuff and and what does this look like for you at the end what are you hoping to accomplish right and i love that piece and and that's what we talk about it you know through recovery coaching is we're not probing for any undisclosed issues and that's not what a recovery coach does you know we'll help you connect to the people that do that stuff and do that therapy but it's present moment stuff and it's, yeah. it's future driven and it's yeah. goal oriented and it's strength based and it's all these things that are going to build that resiliency and build on that self-efficacy which is huge and and get people to where they need to go and it's one process at a time one step at a time and and yeah i just love the way you explain that it's amazing well and it's really the the recovery coach what you're focusing on is actually the most important thing yes in therapy we help people you know accept work through right Uh, techniques like emdr different things like that but ideally it, it is about where, what is my life going to look like when I don't see a therapist anymore? Mm-hmm. Or, right, when it's better? Again, how will I know that? <clears throat> and I think the other thing that's important um, when people get very discouraged is that whole element of acceptance of what has happened in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the, the biggest barriers is that people think if I accept something, that means I approve that it happened to me. Right. And there are many injustices and unfathomable experiences that we will go through, and we would never approve of them. But in order to move forward, in order to heal, you have to know what do I do with past history. Mm-hmm. Accepting the past is about knowing that it's history, it's done, it's facts. And then it's about how do I move? How do I move forward? I think when we don't accept, we, we don't maybe do as much work. We get stuck on that. Yeah, I always like to say like our past doesn't have to define our future. Right. Right? Yeah. Like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Like you said, like lots of people go through horrendous things in our life. And, and I hope lots of people, you know, don't stay in the trap or can find ways out. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm losing my train of thought, dude. It's squirrel. going, I freaking squirrel I just Biden. It did. <laughs> and then I was like, oh man, I'm like, now I'm thinking about Ryan thinking about watching me. And I was, I lost thinking it. about him going to make thinking fun of me. Of, so did you see, no, that was the thing I was worried would so happen funny. to me in here happens today. To me so. all the time. <laughs> it happened to me not long ago too. Oh. It happens all the time. I think so it's what funny. makes it so real actually. Yeah, and is, so much right? fun as part of this. People yeah. are like, can you edit that out? I don't know if we want to. Not yeah. really. It's kind of cool, right? Like who cares? This is real life. Oh uh, yeah. I think, I think in like, yeah, when we work with recovery coaching, when we're working with people, like, 
is is exactly what you said. Like, let me help you with your day to day to day goals, and and let me help you pass you to Rhonda to work on the things that I can't. I have no no education in supporting for sure. Um, because yeah, people just need like that little bit extra of somebody to support them along those journeys. Because what they do with you is hard work, mm-hmm. right? That's the deep internal stuff. And I just want to get you through the light day stuff. Like let's, let's enlighten your day a little yeah, bit more. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the great piece I find of, uh, you know, how we, how we built OCJ at the start was collaboration, right? Cause we know, and we recognize really early that we are not the subject matter experts on everything we're going to run into. So let's start building these relationships with therapists and clinical social workers and whoever else is on the, is on the platform, right? Let's, and in the community, let's get this relationship built because guarantee we're going to run into somebody who's going to need one of these relationships. And that's where we have to have that access or relationship built so we can expedite somebody's journey over to that, to that facility or to that professional, right? Cause that's not us. And, and we have so many people that are like, that, that talk to us, Oh, you guys are doing the work of a 12 step sponsor. You're doing the work of a counselor. We're like, no, we're not. We're complementary to all those pieces, right? We absolutely know that we're not going to sponsor somebody who's, you know, working with us as a recovery coachy. We're definitely not, even though I'm an addictions counselor, I'm not counseling anybody. I'm going to move them over to somebody who's working in that field right now and is, is doing really well at it. So I just love the the whole collaboration piece, right? We've, we're not here to take people's numbers away or take jobs or take funding or anything like that, right? Let's, let's figure out how we can all work together. And yeah, that's we- the piece that brings somebody like Rhonda into our studio today to share how what her business looks like, what her, what her uh, passion is, and how we can all work together. Yeah, it's much more of a holistic approach. 100%. Like, I have not ever met anybody on my first day and said, this is what I do. And if you need this person or this person, like a sponsor, because I'm not a sponsor today, um, or a therapist, or you need references to books, like we give, that is something I always mm-hmm. say right off the front, because that is not where I, that's not my expertise and I can't solve those problems for you. For sure. Right. I think we do, uh, like you said, it, it's best in collaboration. And there are many people in our community that are great at what they do and they have great roles. I think um, we can get stuck on judgment yeah. of what we should or shouldn't be doing. And so I think when we do that or we get stuck on lingo, Mm-hmm. Uh, wordage you're missing the point you're you're again you're getting it, it's it's resistance it's a type of resistance and you're missing the point that we're here to help yeah we're just here to help we're here to help each other jody carrington and Brene brown are two of my most favorite um gurus that i i follow and listen to and Dr. Jody Carrington always says, we're just helping each other home mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And really, aren't we? That yeah. is really what it's about, For is sure. compassion and kindness and working together. Yeah. No one wants to see anybody suffer. No. Ever. No. Yeah. I really like that, helping them get home. Mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful to say, because that's really what you're doing when we get people out of addiction, is we're putting them back to their, their families lives, and right? the lives that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, I've heard that in other contexts as well. We're just all walking each other home and, you know, I've heard it through the church and I mean, it, it's, it works and it, it's relatable in every aspect. I think of working with another human being is their home looks different than my home, right? And it's like, who am I to tell them where their home should be? So we're going to help walk you home to your home. And what that looks like is different than my home. But from us coming through a recovery lens, I don't know what your recovery is going to look like, but I know it's nine times out of 10, I'd venture to say it's going to be better than active addiction. So let's figure out what your home looks like and how the path to get there, right? It's not, maybe it's not going to be through, you know, therapy maybe it's not going to be through 12 step maybe it's not going to be through smart recovery but let's let's figure it out and let's give you a chance to see what recovery is you know if we're stuck out there in active addiction we're never planting these seeds of recovery and we're not sharing these messages of hope and stories of hope like you said Rhonda, and seeing some of those light bulbs come on what's the end goal what's the end game we're just going to be stuck in active addiction forever and 
the resistance piece, I find that a lot is, you know, we have all these terms and we have all these things that are floating around out there. And whether you're coming from the medical model or the medical world, or you're coming from a harm reduction approach or recovery approach, whatever that is, (laughs) I'll just say it right now. We're not shitting on people. It's for us, it's a recovery focus. So if we're going to use a harm reduction approach for us, it's going to be a recovery focused harm reduction approach. So what's the end goal? We're always looking at the end goal at our collective journey of somebody getting into abstinence-based recovery at some point, right? And we're going to help people work along that, that path and, and start putting people in their path, you know, to help them get to that end goal. And I don't know what I'm even talking about anymore. (laughs) I love listening to you. So you have a wealth of knowledge. (laughs) I think again, and we talked earlier about this, it, we always want to have that end goal. Mm-hmm. It, it's great to have these different things. When we look at recovery, it's yes, you can have different pieces or different wording around things, but the idea at the end is how did this transform your life? Mm-hmm. How has this changed you? Have you moved forward or are you still stuck? Because when it comes to addiction, we're stuck long term in suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so do you want to stay in suffering or do you want to do you want to move through the suffering? Yeah. And and I guess it's the 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 positive aspect of this is that you can. There you you can have this. You don't need to you know I th- I think we underestimate um we overestimate what we do what we can do in a week and we underestimate what we can do in a lifetime. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when we're looking at recovery and you talk about your recoveries and where you guys are, you're living proof of that. It is phenomenal of really, you know, you become unstoppable and you move to this place that you're like, wow, I never thought these things would happen to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I'd look at my own life and I, I Addiction hasn't been a thing for me. Anxiety mm-hmm. has probably been one of my biggest things. And so fear, I've often had to juggle with that throughout throughout my life. And, you know, at times it's it's better than others. I think I've come a long ways. Um, and so you want to give back, right? You want to, you see the, the areas in other people um, that you, you want to reach out and help. And... That's the important place to be, right? Is where do we, where do we stand in the gap for people, and how do we, how do we reach out? Yeah. Well, I think that's you know I love how you put that. Where do we stand in the gap for people, and that's kind of where this came from. Is is where are we going to stand in that gap that we've recognized, you know, and and we have some been exposed to some stats and some data over the last six months, and they they've talked about how. 70% of the overdoses in Alberta last year were in residences, were in people who were housed, right? Or had homes. And so it's not the 30% that most of society sees as the overdose problem. It's 70% is people like us. So, mm-hmm. you know, have jobs, have families, have these things, right? Or have careers or money or whatever that looks like. But that's where OCJ came from at the start is who is recognizing that problem in individuals. Cause that was my story. I had all this, this fancy picture painted and I had yeah. all these things and nobody ever once said, holy shit, Ryan's an addict. <laughs> and I was a full blown addict daily all day. Right. So I'm like, when we came together and started this, it's like, let's, let's spread that message of hope and open that, that safe space and stand in that gap that you speak of Rhonda for that population that's sitting at home feeling like, Holy shit, nobody's ever going to get this. How did this happen to me? And you know, if you're anything, if you're listening and you're anything like I was, I can think my way out of this. I'm a man and I'll figure this out and I'll fix it. And I don't need anybody's help. And eventually I'm sitting in a field for 14 hours trying to take my life because <laughs> I couldn't get out of it. So yes, I mean, that's thinking where, got you to suicide. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's where yeah. this came from, standing in that gap, right? So when people talk about this continuum of care, that's the gap we're standing in. And that's where our lane is. And we're not saying any of the other stuff is wrong or isn't helpful because it, it is helping people, obviously, right? But that's not where we're working. So I think finding that place, I love how you put that, finding the gap that you're going to stand in to help people is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Ooh, I get goosebumps. That's the third time today. Yeah, it just makes me think like people who suffer alone are the people that die. Mm-hmm. So true. Right. 
right? Because it's always this masked, sheltered uh, problem in households too, right? People don't want to say anything. Fear of judgment. Fear of wanting to come out. What will my kids say? What will this person say? You know, I know a lot of people here. What would they think of me? It just keeps people in the space. Mm -hmm. It does. And I I think, you know, when fear becomes so prominent, we don't open that door. We don't make those small steps. And, you know, when we we live in fear... Our, I think our risk to fail is just higher. Mm-hmm. And it is about how do we make that. And I think, you know, OCJ, I think the big thing is you guys, because you stand in this gap and you've become known, you do play a really significant role. You're, Ryan, like you say, for people, we do know about the people that, you know, are poverty level, they're homeless, they're struggling, and that's kind of a stigma. They're there, we know that. But you're right, what about the rest of the population that, sure. that struggles? And I think that's where this does serve a need, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And that fear, you know, that was, when I got down to the nitty gritty of, you know, for me it was 12-step program, so when I got down to my steps four and my steps five and I did my fearless moral inventory and then somebody helped me piece together, you know, my character defects. It, a lot of it came down to fear for me. I was scared of everything and scared of failing and scared of judgment and scared of not, you know, nobody liking me and all these things. Right. But it all came down to fear. So when I could start working around that piece and, and start building some of those small goals and having little successes and pushing through my fear and working through it, you know, I could start looking back and say, that wasn't really that bad. So I'm going to try the next one. Right. But like you said, Rhonda, when, when individuals are so deep in fear and so um, entrenched in that, that fear, you know, they're already going into a challenge with that mindset that this is never going to work, you know, and I'm terrified of it. And it's, it's like, you've set yourself up for failure right. already. Yeah. And that hundred percent, that's active addiction for me, right? There's no way I'm getting out of this alone. So why even bother? Why try, you know, it's that hopeless, that darkness that we talk about all the time and that's the name of our show, right? From darkness to life. Cause when you're in that and you're in those bottoms, which is different for everybody, but that was the darkest time in my life. Nothing yeah. could have been darker. I don't think. Yeah. You just stay in that rationalization and, and the mental manipulation that addiction mm-hmm. plays on your mind, right? To stay there and keep you in that place of fear mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, so you see that so much. It's so true, right? And I hear that the common thread for with a lot of people I work with is that hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah. I know I need out of this, but I have no idea how, and I don't even think it's possible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think again, like I said earlier, some of that comes from so far back. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people really genuinely don't know what hope is from a young mm-hmm. age, for sure, which mm-hmm. is tragic. Yeah. Right. And so the idea of even, you know, when we say that word hope, we kind of, it sounds whimsical and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, floaty like a balloon. For sure. But really, what does that mean? And for some folks, it's, it's learning. Um, it's also learning how important it is. It's like a gas tank. We have to keep filling our sense of hope. Mm-hmm. If we don't tune into that, you know, what am I striving for? What am I... What am I working towards? Is this right for me? Is this, if we're not doing that, that's going to get real low, real quick. So I think it's really important that we continually keep that in check. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's funny that I love the, the, for me, being a, you know, a visual guy, the gas tank, those kind of uh, um, analogies really resonate with me. Right. And I, I like to say lots of times it's like, changing oil on a car you can't do it while it's running right so if you want to do all this self-work and you want to get into recovery and you want your life your quality of life to get better it's really hard to do if you're still actively using every day or drinking every day right so it's it's like let's shut the car off let's work on the oil change after we get the car shut off so we got to keep the gas tank full like you said and and keep this motivation of hope going but we got to start with substance for me it's like i can't be honest with myself if my brain is altered due to chemicals and substance every day and that's the piece we try to work on as well is let's let's get to you know maybe 
the drugs and the booze and, and all these things aren't the real issue. That's what we're using to cope with our issues, but we're never going to get to those if we're lifted off the ground every day and we're high as fuck. <laughs> Can't fill the cast tank while you're banged up. Right. Right. It's not a good idea to try with you know, smoking your meth pipe in one hand and gas nozzle in gas the other. Gas in the other. <laughs> but, you know, it, it it's it's the pieces that you bring to the table, Rhonda, that help people, you know, whether it's DBT or CBT or EMDR, all the therapies mm-hmm. that you're trained in. And it's those pieces, right? Once we work on the addiction piece and, and we can build some sort of stability, now let's, you know, we're going to hook you up with Rhonda. Yeah. And now you can start digging into some of that stuff and, and figure out what, what your next steps are. That's not what we do, but why don't you tell us a little bit about that stuff that you do on, in your private practice? Because that's amazing stuff that we have experienced maybe in our lives on our journey to recovery, but we don't do it. Like we're not trained therapists. And so, yeah, share with the listeners what that looks like. What that looks like yeah. in, in terms of the work that we do. So I think, um, yeah, no problem. Um, one of the biggest um, terms that people will come into therapy and say is I have trauma mm. and some type of trauma. And I think, um, after, especially after COVID has been done, I, I think that we all have a lot of trauma of varying sorts. Mm-hmm. But it's understanding where the trauma started and more importantly where it stopped you and then how did you cope moving forward right and so what ends up happening is is, you know people will try their best i think as um individual human beings we we fight for survival and so we will do whatever it takes regardless of it's healthy or unhealthy and some of that you learn from a young age and the problem is, if it's not healthy, it then becomes, a, as we know, a problem of its own. Mm-hmm. And so we now have comp- we have trauma, we have other complex problems that maybe have brought on more trauma. And so it's about sorting out those layers, right? And I think um, two of the biggest things, and, and so it's controversial in my field, and I know for listeners, uh, some of the things that y- you may hear get feedback on is, Oh, there, you know, we don't always have to diagnose a person. We don't have to give people a label. We shouldn't give people a label. Working in the, you know, medical model world for 23 years, that tended to be the way it was. And so I'm, I am familiar with both worlds. Um, trauma is, is trauma. It, it's defined by the person on how they've um, become stuck, how it's interrupted their life and how it's, kind of define their life. And again, like we said earlier, it doesn't have to define your life. Mm-hmm. What happens is there's triggers, there's flashbacks, there's these. And so developmental trauma um, is so ingrained in your brain that it's very difficult to know the difference. And so you're learning actually how do I cope with a traumatized brain and how do I learn to live my life differently, right? And then there's another type of trauma, whereas I have a severe accident Right, and I, I'm an adult, and it's traumatic. Absolutely, it's traumatic. But how how can I move through that, and how can I recover through that? So both types of trauma. It's it's working with people. It's doing things like you have to learn a new skill set because you've um, spent so much of your time in survival mode mm-hmm. that. You're not actually present. Amber, you mentioned that earlier this morning about being in the present moment and learning to be present. And that becomes a big thing. Being present was scary, and so we avoided it. The problem with uh, trauma is you learn to avoid because it's too painful. But when you avoid the negative, you also avoid any opportunity for good. Mm. That's the damaging part to avoiding, right? You, you don't actually experience good things. And so it's learning how do we not avoid how do you learn, and how do you learn to handle distress? How do you learn that everything in your life is not a trigger of trauma? How do you move from survival to thriving more, right? And so some of the, so one of the biggest things that I have experienced in and I've been trained in is dialectical behavior therapy, DBT. Um, now you know why we say DBT, because it's the whole alphabet and <laughs> one line. It was really funny. So I am... The individual that actually started the groups in Medicine Hat. Um, And that would have happened, I think, maybe 16 years ago, somewhere in there. And I worked with 
individuals and one of the roles that I had, I wasn't the only one working in those roles, but I worked with individuals known to have borderline personality disorder. And I know that that can be very controversial and some people say they have it, some people don't believe in it. The the problem areas that we were interested in helping individuals with is feelings of empty, emptiness, inadequacy, mm-hmm. um, not being able to handle crisis. So they end up you know, going back to ER, wanting to be admitted to the hospital, wanting to self-harm, not being able to regulate emotions. So you move from, um, you could be calm one moment and over the top the next. But you're not able to regulate Uh, No idea how to have interpersonal relationships. So often your relationships end or you end up very isolated. So that population of individuals is where I've spent probably the majority of my career. And of course, with that population of individuals comes trauma. Mm. Complex trauma, PTSD trauma, call it what you will. There also comes substance abuse. And so a concurrent disorder is born, right? And so... We knew that what we were doing in our community wasn't enough. We needed different types of treatment and different things to help these individuals. So DBT, a gold standard of treatment, um, is what we began to, to utilize. And the goal initially was to keep individuals out of hospital for longer periods of time, right? And has it been successful over time? Yes and no. I think... Um, lack of having enough uh, professionals to do the mm-hmm. job uh, more consistently is a big part. We're stretched with resources, mm-hmm. right? The nice part, though, is DBT has moved through research. It's now used for addiction recovery. We no longer, in the beginning, it was borderline personality disorder. So I had to go around town trying to sell it to psychiatrists because I was told, you're now the person that's going to run the in, we need those individuals. Well, half the psychiatrists didn't like the diagnosis right. because the old stigma around the diagnosis is that you were hopeless. Of course, that goes against what I believe, right? For sure. And we now know that things like borderline personality disorder are reversible. There is much hope for it. Those are learned patterns of behavior. And so, you know, a big part of the trauma work, right? You're doing the stabilization You're doing the safety, providing those resources for people and teaching people, how do I do it for myself? And the DBT becomes a really good way to navigate, to help. How do I learn to parent myself or learn to help myself stay in recovery, Mm -hmm. stay well, right? How do I regulate in society and have these things that I look at other people and they have, and I've continually wondered why I don't. So that's that has been a big uh, part of my career. The exciting part is I now use it. So you use it individually. I've done groups for years with wonderful colleagues. Um, I can't even imagine the amount of groups that I've done for DBT. But I do it now individually. I've also learned to do it with couples. Nice. High conflict marriage, right? So, yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. And so that... Then comes the EMDR, which really helps in, uh, individuals move deeply traumatic events from the left side of the brain to the right side of the brain. Help them to process quite quickly so that you don't need to stay traumatized. Life isn't meant to be ongoing trauma, right? It is really about moving on. Again, this seems to be a theme this morning, doesn't it? About yeah, sure. How do we move on? But it's true. We, we, that's the goal. We need to be able to move on. And so that's a that's a big part of what I do. I'm very passionate yeah. about what I do because I believe in it. For sure. It works. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've wow. done EMDR and I loved it. Did you? Yes, I did. Very helpful. Very helpful. I, I thought of things that I didn't even, I don't even know that I could have related back to like how I thought and felt. It was actually, I was like, wow, that was strange. Wow. Where do we go, right? right? How did that happen? I've, heard, yeah. I've often heard that as feedback. Yeah, yeah. I, I would recommend it to people suffering with trauma for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. 
And then, like, I'll just book me and my husband in for the other stuff, you know, when we're in. <laughs> <laughs> That may or may not have crossed my mind when you said that. Um, oh, last week. I could have been there myself last week. <laughs> Life well, happens. Well, and that's the thing. So here's some of the controversy with the criteria of a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. That could be a lot of us. Yeah. Right? I could feel... Uh, emotionally dysregulated and, and not want to connect with people around me. And so the controversy is, you know, like we all could have that. The idea behind borderline personality disorder is it affects your life for a long period. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That I mean, that's the. Yeah, for sure. And I right. know when I got my very first copy of the DSM-5 and I was looking through it and I'm like reading it word for word and then I would sit and process it for a bit and I'm like, that was me on Tuesday, check. <laughs> right. And then you move to the next diagnosis and, and you're like, oh, I match all just about all that criteria. That was me last Sunday. And that's the harmful <laughs> part of, you know, people self-diagnosing themselves off Google or off the internet, uh-huh. right? As any one of us Google-itis. can check, totally yeah, you're check right. those boxes on a certain day, depending on what we're going through. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's that long-term, how, you know, how is it impacting you over time? And that's where I uncheck those boxes, but. I think the trauma piece is huge, right? And I like how you explain that. It's like, where did trauma leave you? Where did you leave Mm -hmm. off with trauma, right? And I find that so enlightening to hear you say that because when I'm working with individuals and they do disclose some of their history by choice, it's not that we're probing for it, but you can tell, you know, certain events happened at 10, 11, 12, 15 years old, and then suddenly you're 35 now And you're stuck at that 15-year-old mark, right? Because that's where the negative coping mechanisms and things that you use to escape that trauma and and the present moments. And that's where that took over. And and it worked. And nobody's shaming anyone for that. My goodness, you made it to 35. You've done something right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, when I I work with individuals that are from the vulnerable sector of the population, right? I've never shamed any of them because, my gosh, the stuff that they've gone through and made it to this day is it's a miracle itself that they're still out there and still alive, right? And still have an opportunity to to better their lives. But the stuff that happened to them in the past, nobody chose it. Nobody woke up one day and said, man, I can't wait to be abused and, and become an addict. Nobody in their no. right mind ever chooses that. So things have unfolded the way they have in somebody's life, and now they're where they're at today. And that's the piece that, <clears throat> you know, I think we really have to start being accountable for our recovery, you know, that stuff, like we said, nobody asked for it. We're, you know, we're not responsible for all that stuff, but what are we going to do about it? If we want a better quality of life, it's not going to be found in a magic pill. Um, what are we going to do about it? What's the next pieces that we can put in place? And, and that's, you know, where you come in, Rhonda, that's where we come in is when somebody wants to be accountable and wants to check in and start, you know, looking at recovery, depending on what it is. You know, that's where we come in and that's where you come in and that's where, you know, we can't force people to do any of this stuff. But if you want to get better, there's supports out there, 100%. There are. And I think, like you said earlier, they can come see me. I think what I like is I can also send them to you. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice reciprocal yeah. uh, collaboration. For sure. Right? It Both are important that follow-up in the, in the community, out in the real world. I become that hour it's, and I always say that to people, I'm just an hour of your time. What are you doing with this when you leave here? Mm-hmm. How is this actually changing and bettering your life? Absolutely. Right? Um, and I, I think the, the, the bigger piece is it's honesty. Not fearing honesty with yourself. Yeah. And I think the more we avoid that and we're scared of being honest with ourselves, the bigger we build it up in our minds that we won't be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, when we start talking about our story, everyone has a story and we start talking about our story, sometimes I, I think we recognize that you know, maybe it wasn't so so overwhelming. It, it's, it's horrible, it's hard, it's painful, but is it something you can't face? Mm-hmm. Don't think so. Yeah. Right, with the supports. For sure. Right. And I think that 
that really coincides with what we have been using and what we've come to learn in the last year and a half is, you know, the difference between just telling our story and using our story to help somebody. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's that piece you're talking about that, that using our story to help somebody else recognize that, man, maybe, maybe it's not insurmountable. Maybe it's, you know, maybe there is some hope and, and these individuals are going to help me through whatever this obstacle is you know just building on that hope and that's using our story i think instead of just standing up in front of a room and sharing our story getting our per diem and going home right (laughs) for sure and that's what happens at a lot of places right yes it's not about just sharing our story and look at how successful i am now it's about if you want a better life we can help you with that yeah and i'm like prime example man i'm still working on me yeah (laughs) Right? Me, me too. We all, me we too. Are. I think we always are. It yeah. doesn't matter. You know, I think we all have stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's impossible to get through life without <clears throat> stuff. Yeah. Some is harder than others. Yeah. But we all have stuff that we're continually working on. For sure. And I, I think if people out there can recognize that n- no one's there, I don't think we arrive. We, we continue to go. We. It's important to find a sense of... Um, satisfaction when we make that progress and achieve those goals but i think we continue to set new ones and continue to work on ourselves because i think humans are just so dynamic Mm -hmm. and when i think that i've arrived i i i believe then i've started to take over that thinking again and i know where that takes me right so it's it's just keep doing the next right thing and and it's a process and it's a journey and it's not a destination you know you hear all these things on social media and all these shows and whatnot, right? But it's true. When I sit and think about it, it has been a process to get to where I am today. Is it over? Am I, I'm recovered now and I didn't never have to do anything again based on, you know, the stuff I've done already? No, absolutely not. I'll end up back where I was. So it's keep doing the next right thing. And that honesty piece you talked about, Rhonda, you know, we, I share this with so many people and you are that hour in the week you said, right? And, and when I went to therapy, early on in my recovery, that was my mindset, right? What am I going to learn this hour? And then I would leave it there. I didn't do the work when I left there, right? And that was the game changer for me. Same as a 12-step program. I would go Sunday nights for an hour and then I would leave and I, and I wouldn't do any work. And, you know, eventually I went back out used in suicide again, right? But it was when it was explained to me that, you know, I call it a name tagger. (laughs) I'm a name tagger for this hour and that's it, right? I'll leave my name tag in the room and I'll pick it up next week. And It's like when I take the program, when I take the therapy, when I take the tools out of that session for that one hour, and now I'm going to use them for the other hours until I meet you again, and we'll go over some new tools. It's the same as for me, it's church. Church doesn't just happen. My, my, my belief in spirituality and God doesn't just happen Sundays from 10 to 11. It's what are you going to do the rest of the week? Are you taking it with you and are you using it? And that's when stuff started to change. So when I hear people say that support group meetings don't work and, you know, this is bullshit and that doesn't work. That's where I dive in and I start saying, you know, I don't want to know what happened during that hour. Let's talk about the rest of the week. What does that look like? Because it becomes very obvious to me that name tagging is being done. You're doing it in that one hour and that's great. You're there. You're, you know, you're, you're working on yourself for an hour, Yeah. but what are you doing the rest of the week? Exactly. You checked that one box. Totally. Right. And I had somebody, and this is probably going to go over like a lead balloon, but I had somebody (laughs) tell me early on. Thanks that, you for know, the warning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that it's, you know, speaking clean, living dirty. And for me, that worked in the NA program because I can come in there and I can reiterate and rehash all the stuff you want to hear me say. And I sound so smart for that one hour, Yeah, but I go back out and I'm still the same asshole all week long. And I leave all that in the room because you guys think I'm amazing in that room. Yeah. yeah. And now I go back to my regular life and that's when it sure didn't work for me. Well, and I think you use the good example of church, actually. It's a very obvious example of, and, you know, I've heard many stories, right, of people that go to church on Sunday and the rest of the week, you'd have no idea they went to church on Sunday for that hour. They showed up and looked good. And, you know, how did it show up in the rest of their lives? And I think that's really the key in how we are as humans, you know. Um, are we authentic? Are we genuine with ourselves, with our values? When we know what our values are, I mean, we can re- redesign ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And and that's pretty powerful. Totally. Wow. And and you know, speaking from my experience, when I got into recovery, redefining my values was was amazing because I really wasn't living on my values up until I was forty. I was living on values that were instilled on me yeah. 
by society or by, you know, my dad in my instance. Right. And when I got out of treatment and I started back out into the real world, right out of that bubble, that safety bubble, I'm like, man, I don't even really know what I value. I don't even know what I really like. And that's where therapy came in for me was, it was really cool to start finding what I valued and what my moral compass directed me towards. And then going with that as, you know, and talk about building autonomy and self-worth was like, now I really have something I value and I want to put my effort into this. And that was, oh my gosh, it was cool. It still is to this day. My values change with my recovery as I go forward, right? What got me into recovery isn't the same thing that motivates me today to stay in recovery. That's evolved as well. Yeah. And you know, it was a crisis that got me into recovery. I'm past that. I've worked through it. I've dealt with it. I've owned it. But now it's like, what's going to keep me going forward? And that's got to change or I just become stagnant and stink and forget to shower. Go into a rut. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Old habits and Which can behaviors die hard. Classy yeah. to trashy. Classy to trashy real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I can go there. <laughs> oh, I love it. This that's is, so uh, how, yeah, look at it's already an hour, Rhonda, and uh, it a just goes by fast, like that, right? Yeah. It sure does. It goes by so fast once you're in yeah. here, but this will definitely not be your one and only time in here, I feel. Yeah. Thank you. I've really enjoyed uh, spending the hour with you, and uh, what a humble opportunity. Oh. It really is, because uh, f- for me, this is really being able to uh, just speak at general to whoever listens in mm-hmm. and uh, just give some important information. Or for sure. Even the way... I see things on my side as a therapist, right? Or some, just some some tips, some guidance. Yeah, it's cool. And I know early on for me to get into recovery, you know, we talk about how easy it's, it's a lot easier to have support to walk this journey. And I look back when I didn't have that one-on-one support at the start and I had, you know, I was, it was suggested to go to recovery meetings. It was suggested to go to counseling, excuse me, all these other things. And that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And you're alone and you're still oh, trying yeah. to navigate this yourself. And now you got to put your trust in others that you've never met before. And that's why I love having different professionals on the podcast. That's because a lot of boxes to check, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And you leave a, you know, not to shit on any treatment centers or anything, but you leave a facility like that and you get your, your aftercare plan and it's, here's some phone numbers and here they're open Thursday on whatever time. And now go navigate all this and check it out. And I know where mine went. Mine went in the garbage. Cause yeah. I'm like, fuck that that's too terrifying and i'm still stuck in fear garbage yeah Yeah. but by having different you know therapists and having police officers on here and different things like that right is it it shows people that and maybe it's not that scary here's here's a real person talking about real life and maybe that's the person i want to go have as my counselor or my therapist yeah maybe i can give it a try yeah yeah right i always find once people try try going to therapy they're like wow that was you know get that weight off your chest right and just being able to have somebody with an unbiased position and talk about the things that you can't talk or or don't want to talk to with other people you know you just have that safe person to be vulnerable with yeah yeah i remember when i first went and i was like wow you know that was great it was cool right yeah Yeah. that's the biggest compliment that i hear in my work is when the hour's up and someone says Oh my God, I feel so much better. I can't believe how much I said. Yeah. And they look at you with that look that says, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And really, you know what you've done is you've validated. Yeah. Yeah. You've validated and you've heard and helped them <coughs> reframe. For sure. Right. And I think that's yeah. a big thing is that validation. Huge. <coughs> Excuse me. And being heard, right? Because I know a lot of times early on for me, I would sit in a room like that and talk to somebody on the other side of the table. And, and I always had this feeling that they were listening to respond to me and to fix and to, and I didn't resonate with those people at all because I didn't feel validated. And, and that's why we like to say, and you know, maybe that first experience at a therapist or a meeting or whatever, isn't the right one for you. So don't give up, find the next one. And we got to keep doing this, right? It's, it's our life and it's our, it's on us to to do what we want to do with our life, whether it's take the left path or the right path. But I know if you're stuck on the one that is constantly feels like Groundhog Day and that's what an active addiction was for mm-hmm. me, it's it's like we got to get on that other path somehow and at least try to make your way down it. And that's where we come in and we'll help you down that path and introduce you to some pretty cool people like Rhonda. We have a whole Thank you. selection of therapists that have been on this show and that have 
we've referred to and we've accepted referrals back to us and back and forth, right? Yeah. So we're building this collaboration that very nice team. Oh, yeah. it's amazing because we know we're not here to say we're fixing everybody. Nope. No, and it's what our community <clears throat> needs. You know, what do we need to do to help Medicine Hat? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's the important piece. For sure. You know, it. I think, I guess if an addict can't get help on their own, we can't help them on our own either. I think that's yeah, a good, good point. way to put it. That's a very right? good point. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Takes a team. Takes a Raise team. a village. Is that Absolutely. what they say? Yeah. Absolutely. Some, something like that. Some days more than one village. <laughs> for me. <laughs> well. Oh, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I've really appreciated it and I look forward to getting to know you more. Thanks, Amber. Yeah. It was a pleasure to meet you and Ryan. Always, always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for making time for us. And as soon as, like I said earlier on, as soon as you reached out and said, I'm kind of curious and really want to be on part of this. And yeah, 100%. Yeah. I really cool. enjoyed our previous working relationship and we'll you see bet. where this next one yeah. goes because it's yeah. amazing. And I just know at the end of the day, more people are going to get help. So yes, reach sir. out social media. Yeah. I'm sure most of the people know where we're at. Our collective journey, Instagram, Facebook, we have a website. Dave, the wizard has created us a website. We also have the rise up hot air balloon festival coming at the end of May, May 26th mm-hmm. to the 29th. So check that out. Rise up mh.ca volunteer form is on there. If you want to volunteer at it, um, we got a raffle going on where we've sponsored a balloon. So we are raffling off our ride for two people. So if you're interested in that and you want to get up off the ground without the help of drugs and alcohol. Um, <laughs> nice segue. Right? That, yeah. was, that was classy. $10 a ticket and your name will go in the raffle. And uh, other than that, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we have a wild list of guests coming up, so don't miss them. And with that, we out. The end. <laughs> From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.